0: Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast, Why in the World. And man, what a time to be a human. COVID-19 is still upon us and seems to be continuing to run chaotic circles around all of us in this human collective that we find ourselves in. And on top of that, we are weeks away from probably the most contentious presidential election that i'm aware of maybe the most contentious election we've ever had in terms of how polarizing it's been how far of a divide there seems to be between different ideologies and ways of showing up in the world and that so much is just kind of up in the air and feels tumultuous and chaotic right now and amidst so much chaos um, there's often a deep feeling of Isolation and despair, um, and it's just—it's just a wild, wild time to exist on this planet. Um, today, I sit down with um, a good friend of mine and colleague and fellow psychotherapist Benjamin Reisterer, and we kind of touch on some of that. Um, we step into a conversation that kind of spans a number of topics, but. To just highlight a couple of them. Um, We touch on what it's like to live with less certainty and more inquiry in a world that seems so bent on getting things right. Um, And so hopefully as you listen, you'll have a sense of what it means to embrace the mystery of life, the mystery of who you are as a human being, and the mystery of those around you, Um, and even the mystery of the world that we live in. And, um, we also touch on, you know, obviously the, the realm of therapy, two therapists can't sit down in a room and not talk about therapy. And we talk about therapeutic courage. We talk about relational authenticity, um, and about the mind body connection. Um, so without too much more, let's just, uh, get into it. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Why in the World, a podcast fueled by curiosity, with deep-dive conversations exploring meaning, purpose, and why we show up in the world the way we do. I'm your host, psychotherapist, Brian Nixon. Welcome, Ben.
1: Thanks for having me, Brian.
0: Absolutely. I'm glad you uh, opted in to do this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is uh, the Why in the World podcast, mm-hmm. and um, as you're aware, like the underlying kind of purpose for this is just to kind of explore where the conversation goes, to learn a little bit about you and the work that you do in the world, mm-hmm. um, and why you do it. So if you could start, maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah. Um, well,
1: my name is Benjamin Aristover. Um as you know i've been working with you
0: for for <laughs>
1: geez almost half a decade, or more than half a decade now right <laughs> yeah
0: you and i know each other pretty well <laughs> pretty well yeah um
1: yeah so i'm the clinical director of the claystone location here at mindful counseling um and i've been a psychotherapist in private practice for six or seven years now um also a, a veteran of uh, afghanistan and i've created the medify app so yeah.
0: awesome yeah so where do you want to dive in like what What's kind of bubbling up for you in terms of, you know, what you would want to say or like things that you're feeling particularly passionate about or, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, obviously we're still in the middle of, of COVID and, <laughs> yeah. um, all of that is, is sort of percolating in our world, but, um, yeah, where, where do you feel compelled to go?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, the COVID thing is always just kind of ever-present right now. Um, so it's actually kind of wonderful to be, like, in the same room with another person mm. several feet apart. but <laughs> Socially distanced appropriately. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, I think one thing that's really kind of stuck with me throughout this whole thing is just the difference between, like, isolation versus solitude um, and how much I, I was... When this first happened, I was a little looking forward to kind of spending a lot of time at home and not having so many responsibilities outside of the house and things like that. Um, And that quickly, after like a week and a half, I found out that this wasn't quite the the solitude that I was thinking Mm. was going to be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And it turned much more into isolation. Um, I mean, I still had my wife and kids there with me, but it was just, just, it wasn't the same. Um, And so I've been wrestling with that a lot uh, lately just trying to understand how that kind of plays out and how that plays out with just like, uh, cultivating like freedom in our lives, um, to really kind of understand who we are and where we're going and why we're here and what's important to us and whatever moment that we're in. Mm-hmm.
0: But, um, but so yeah. many existential questions come up in the midst of a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> who knew? <Exactly. laughs> right. We're quickly finding out. So uh-huh. <laughs> Well how would you how would you describe the difference between isolation and solitude like as you said it definitely mm-hmm. something in me resonated mm-hmm. with that too and so I'd love to hear what your what your thoughts are on how they're different but maybe you, you know cuz they almost sound similar mm-hmm. but I think you're right that they're they're very different.
1: Yeah, I think and I'm not fully formed on these thoughts, so like whoever's listening is getting <laughs> incomplete. Um, but I think one thing that solitude is or that's different from isolation is that it's chosen and it's a practice, mm-hmm. and it's something that you do to restore yourself. Um, for me, I, I often like to like to go out into the woods or even just a quick overnight camping trip by myself or something like that um, just to, to, to get back to nature or something like that. Mm. Um, whereas isolation feels much more like you're doing this whether you want to or not. Um, and something is being taken away from you as opposed to I'm seeking something or I'm, 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 I'm reaching out for something. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think that's the biggest difference and which is why like the, the idea of like human freedom kind of came up in that for me too. Um, when you look at, uh, prison studies around, um, solitary confinement and stuff like that, um, really bad things happen to people in those situations or you look at other studies where people have been isolated or cut off from um, attachment figures and things like that and we just kind of start to wither away mm-hmm. um, but there is this huge practice and almost all wisdom traditions that I know about of people going away by themselves and kind of go using that time to go within and um, bring awareness to things and and so it's it's been curious to me during this time to kind of see the difference between those two of on the on the face of it they look very similar Mm -hmm. Um, but in the practice or the process of it are wildly different Mm -hmm. um, and how much that process impacts the whole thing Mm -hmm. um, or the whole experience
0: yeah as you're saying that like something that pops up for me is like isolation feels like a a disconnect from the self Mm -hmm. and a disconnect from others um, without a lot of intentionality built into it whereas Mm -hmm solitude feels like a deeply connected to the self experience of um, I'm not alone because I'm with myself in mm-hmm. a way I'm gonna explore what comes up I'm gonna be intentional about you know noticing what the solitude feels like and and mm-hmm. letting it work on me whereas um, isolation feels more just like this heavy weight that that does feel withering like you said mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting to from a
1: therapist's perspective, <laughs> when you talk about isolation, when it uh, plays out with like depressive symptoms and things like that, we often will say that they're self-isolating or something along those lines as opposed to they're seeking solitude or mm-hmm. um, some uh, something like that. And I think that again kind of comes from the depression is something within them that's kind of causing that, but it's not them choosing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not, it's not a, there wasn't a free choice in, involved right. in so, so
0: yeah. hm well, as a therapist during covid um, what are what are you noticing like are there themes and patterns that are coming up with your clients that are you know I mean everybody's story's nuanced individually and and mm-hmm. is their own, and yet, for the first time in my life, we're all as a globe facing <laughs> the same exact yeah. thing with this pandemic, and mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if you're if you're observing any trends or themes? Yeah, I think um, like
1: trauma's kind of defined how the, the nervous system responds to an event, not necessarily what the event is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there is kind of a collective trauma being experienced, and obviously some people are experiencing at much different levels and much less levels, and there's different levels of privilege that play into that. But um, when you experience those things, I don't think you can really process a trauma while you're in the trauma, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like with most of the people I've talked to whether it's in session or out of session everyone is really trying to be in the future um, and process it and be done with it um, and there's not a lot of acceptance of the invitation to just stay in the mess um, and let it kind of work on you a little bit um, and myself included, right? Going back to the isolation versus solitude thing, like, I don't freaking like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, when will this be over? <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but there is, but I think there is something in the ability to kind of stay with it and not try to jump to the other side of this thing. Um, and that's when I'm speaking with friends or family or even with clients, uh, try to kind of bring curiosity around that opportunity of like, what would it be like to not worry about what it is going to be like the, the quote unquote new normal that may or may not come. But what about the here and now is, Mm -hmm. um, instructive or, um, revealing or new or, or old, but presenting in a new way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I have found with myself at least and with some of the people that I've spoken with and worked with that when you can slow it down enough to do that there is a lot of really rich content that kind of comes up with that someone I was speaking with told me that it felt like it feels like the tide has gone out and all the stuff that's kind of left on the shore now like you can clean all that up and Mm. you can kind of organize it and put it back or or get rid of the garbage that's there Um, that's a great analogy yeah, I've, I love that analogy because um, I think it fits really well. Because this is an opportunity as much as it as it is in um, a trauma.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Well, and to be so fixated on the future seems like is a movement into the realm of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I you, you know I certainly feel that in myself and see that in my clients and in just relationships in general. There's just a a higher level of like. RPMs around anxiety <laughs> yeah. and like things are just revving higher in that way um and I think it does have to do with that sense of like when will this end and how do I how do I have some control over anything really like mm-hmm. when and so it's kind of strips away that illusion of control that mm-hmm. normally in ordinary time it's it's easy to to kind of think like I'm the master of my own world mm-hmm. in ways that something like this just kind of is like well eh, well maybe you're not and yeah. what would it be like if you're not and how do you how do you cope with that in the here and now like you said so
1: yeah and jumping off of that point i think it it really points to the um kind of how we're all part of this like global organism um that isn't just humanity it's all of the earth all of nature all mm-hmm. of the ecosystem and all that kind of stuff where it's um it feels like this has slowed things down enough to where like we can really start to deal with some of that garbage or the tide has gone out and now it's time to clean up Mm -hmm. um and it eventually hopefully will come back but in the meantime this is just kind of a a larger cycle like almost like white blood cells of the of of our globe just kind of being like all right now we got to deal with this um and reset everything for a little bit and um kind of come back to it but it still is on us to accept that invitation Mm -hmm. (laughs) so
0: absolutely and I know both you and I really subscribe to the idea that there's a significant part of who we are that's unconscious mm-hmm. which yep. means we don't have access to it we don't know what we don't know um, and the image of like the tide going out and things coming to the surface a little bit is it, you know kind of touches on that for me of like mm-hmm. normally there's maybe a hundred feet of sea between the seafloor and mm-hmm. the um, and the the ocean or the, yeah, the, the water, here. the mm-hmm. surface. And now that the tide's gone out, like things that are, are, mu- it's much easier for them to get to the surface yeah. and they're pushing their way to the surface in a way that they weren't before. And that can be really painful and disruptive in and of itself because we're so, you know, structured in terms of how our psyche works mm-hmm. and the ego keeping, you know, things out of our conscious awareness that we don't want to look at or or don't want to conceive of, and now it's it's right in front of us. And so we either double down on not looking at it and not knowing and choosing some form of numbness, or we choose to take a breath, slow down, and and begin to unpack some of it.
1: Yeah, which I think, I don't think it's a coincidence that during this these stay-at-home orders and, and this pandemic that all these issues of racial injustice and just ju- injustice in general has been coming to the forefront mm-hmm. and has been kind of I mean, it's always been there, yep. but now we're really paying attention to it, or at least it seems that way. Or there's a moment of that. So
0: yeah, maybe not as much as we need to, or yeah. or you know, obviously that's a lifelong commitment mm-hmm. to pursue that, and yet the tide is out just enough where it's staying up in our conscious space yeah. longer and, yeah. and in a more sustained way. So. It's harder to be distracted. <laughs> yep, which is in that way a gift. Yes, it is a painful gift, <laughs> but a gift. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, I'm curious about, you know, I mean, I know some of your, your backstory, but I was thinking about, um, knowing you with the initially in the context of you being a new therapist, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're both therapists. And so just the, the thought around that of like, why are you a therapist? Like, mm-hmm. where did that come from for you? How, what was the <laughs> journey towards that?
1: Well, there's the, there's the, I guess the narcissistic reasons, right? Like the ones that we originally kind of become therapists around mm-hmm. <laughs> the stories we tell ourselves. And then there's the later on in life, the, the shadow of, uh, we start to figure out like, oh, these, these woundings are really kind of, uh, really in play here as well. Um, so I think originally it was just, um, I, I, I was the friend that everybody kind of came to, um, I, I, can, I listen well. I'm empathetic. All those kind of things. Mm. I want to help people. I want to um, uh, feel good about helping people. All those types of things. Um, but the deeper that I get into this work, and the deeper that I do my own work, um, I, I, I start to really recognize that just there was patterns that played out throughout my life um, that that created the, that ability to empathize, that ability to listen, that ability to kind of hold space and tension, Mm -hmm. um, for a longer than normal time, um, which I think often gives way to, um, some insights to kind of bubble up to the, to the surface. Um, so I think just within my own story, growing up in, in the way that I grew up in the household that I grew up in the time that I grew up in the communities, all those things worked on me in a way that some of them. Uh, worked on me in, in honing ways and strengthening ways, and some of them wounded me, um, and all those played together to, to lead me down this this path of, um, helping others do that same kind of work, um, but always being able to recognize that my wounds are still in the in in the stew mm-hmm. <laughs> with it. So, mm-hmm. but, oh, that's good.
0: I don't remember where I heard this. It was early on for me, I think, and maybe it was in grad school or somewhere, but the the idea was like our greatest strengths are often born out of our deepest wounds. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think that's an interesting thing to think about, um, particularly for therapists and like, why do, why do we do this work? And, mm-hmm. um, I think your point of like, there's the early on perspective of why I'm doing this and, and now, and so that's, that's interesting, just to uh, focus on like, we're not the one sitting in the room with the solution and the <laughs> client's the one with the problem. It's mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, it's two humans with two embodied, lived stories in this mm-hmm. room trying to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but. So, how has your, I don't know, like your presence as a therapist, shifted over the years that you've been doing this because you're almost a decade in now. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things are obviously very different when we're first starting out and, or at least hopefully they are. Hopefully we keep evolving and. Yeah. Right. Um,
1: (laughs) That'd be terrifying if we didn't. (laughs)
0: uh
1: Um, at the beginning there was very much uh, a feeling of, I have to have something to give you. Um, almost like there's a, there's a product or there's an exchange happening where you're coming here, I'm giving you this and you leave, and then that's kind of it. Um,
0: that's the transaction?
1: The transaction, yeah. Um, and that if I have the right theory or the right technique or the right quip or insight or whatever, um, I don't really have to show up, I just have to be able to give that to them and, and things will be fine. Um, and there is a place for techniques and theories and insights and quips and things like that, but um I can't hide behind those things I have to I have to lead with just my own raw experience or my own um what's the word I'm looking for um, just authenticity hmm. I have to be willing to. I have to I have to have that therapeutic courage in the room to say this is my true experience in this moment um, and this is not an interpretation and this is not me saying this is what it is this is me saying this is mine um, mm-hmm. and here here is mine and that's what I will present or or bring to to this relationship um, and and take that leap of faith that my client will kind of, transcend the the identity of client and, and step into a relationship with me mm-hmm. um, and, and return their true experience as well. One of my favorite things of working with clients is when we get deep enough into the relationship where they can call me out on my shit mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. when I'm Doing something that is not comfortable, or or I make make a mistake, or something like that, um, because that that's just proof that like okay cool, there's a relationship here. I can own mine, they can own theirs, and we can work th- with through that together. And there doesn't have to be defensiveness on my part as the quote unquote expert or the one mm-hmm. with the license on the wall or anything like that, because that's just paper.
0: Yeah. <laughs> At it the end of the day, takes the pressure of being right out of the equation. It's not about being right or wrong. It's mm-hmm. about being present.
1: Yeah. And that is almost harder than being right or wrong mm-hmm. in some ways, because it's, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to, I have to really say what I'm actually feeling. Um, and I don't know if I do that hundred I, well, percent. I know I don't do that hundred percent of the time, but I don't know if I'd even do it 50% of the mm-hmm. time. You know what I mean? Like it's because sometimes clients are Uh, the person you're working with can be really annoying Mm -hmm. or can make you angry or can make you really happy Um, and and you have to be willing to share all of that
0: um, because that's what the relationship is yeah and the wide range of whatever we feel with clients is rooted in like human to human Mm -hmm. connection and so in that way it all has meaning and so Mm -hmm you know, as a therapist, the last thing you actually want to feel towards your client is some sort of like less than positive feeling. Mm -hmm. And so if you do feel anger or, you know, whatever it is, disgust, um, to be able to not just push that aside because it's not what you're, it's what you're not supposed to feel, but to be able to ask ourselves like, well, what does it mean? Like, Mm -hmm. why is this coming up right now between us? And
1: yeah, to move away from judgment and into curiosity, I mm -hmm. think is really where a lot of the work is yeah um that's well said yeah and i think one thing that you said to me i don't know how long ago it was um but uh shoot now i'm gonna forget it (laughs) because i said that (laughs) um
0: i'm sure it was good yeah it was was (laughs) was probably amazing um
1: what were we talking about with this whole thing now i'm I'm looking at the the thing over here and oh. <laughs> seeing the time tick by. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I I think we were talking about like how do we make space for all of the wide range of emotions to come up and then oh you, empathy that's yeah, what yeah yeah the point towards curiosity
1: yeah the thing that you told me years ago and I, maybe maybe it was sooner than that but just that like empathy can get in the way of good work mm. um, because if I'm angry at my client. An empathetic person isn't going to be like, you're irritating right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> An empathetic yeah. person is going to be like, wow, well, that must be hard. And yeah. in reality, you're just annoying
0: <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah. um, or, and it's not even that they are annoying. It's like almost, you have to kind of think of it as like, there's the presence of yeah. annoyance between us exactly. for some reason. And it has some kind of meaning that's, and let's be curious about it, that's linked it. Yeah. to something else. And mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the point about empathy i think i heard that first from roy barsness who was who you know and who was Mm -hmm. on the on the show a number of episodes ago um just this idea that like empathy is a thing that can be faked yeah oh yeah (laughs) um you know i can i can nod my head and make a "Hmm," sound and say something (laughs) that sounds compassionate without actually being in my body like i'll have to actually split something off. Versus saying, you know, like I'm I'm actually feeling some anger right now that I feel curious about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's, this is present or, um, and being, having the, I, I guess, the fortitude or the...
1: The therapeutic courage.
0: Yeah, the, and the resilience within mm-hmm. ourselves to say, like, this is here. Like if we don't talk about it, it's going to be an elephant in the room that could potentially sink the therapy.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you cultivate that, curiosity around that and the resilience that you were speaking of around that, it allows you to go deeper into seeing things that have been there for a long time that neither one of you or the other person are, are even are feeling but not aware that you're feeling mm-hmm. until you get to a point where you've almost earned the ability to feel that, um, and then to kind of bring it forth. Because so, like, the therapy often starts with just kind of surface level things. Um, and you kind of earn your way through that relationally, and then it gets to some deeper things, and then it feels – and then it, it's it's almost weird. Like it's not this um, It's not this line that kind of is like uh, just kind of equally going up the whole time or mm-hmm. equally going down. It, it kind of goes up and goes up and goes up, and then once you hit a certain point, it kind of shoots way up, and then that's terrifying too because mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, this feels way more intense <laughs> than mm-hmm. it's ever felt before. Um, and then that's often a point where people – and therapists as well want to kind of bail out or, um, uh, get in their own way or whatever.
0: So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. I was thinking about what we were talking about just yesterday a little bit with, um, you know, like the collective feeling of like, or, or how disruptive the feeling is when you're like something's happening with this client, and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going on, but it mm-hmm. feels intense. Mm-hmm. And then, like, how do we stay in mm-hmm. those moments? Um, and that's thats hard. That's really hard.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to admit to the person that you're working with, again, you got to get out of your own way or your ego. You have to let deal with that to just be like, I'm, I'm the person, again, with the license, and you're paying me and all that, and there's this thing that I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. um, and that can that can be an ego trip. <laughs> yep, yep, so.
0: And, and it's interesting to think about like what could be, in terms of a pattern in this person's life, what could be replaying in that? Like if you were to just fake some sort of answer or give some piece of advice, like mm-hmm. there's the que- it begs the question of like, well, what role in doing that are you repeating in their life? Like mm-hmm. was there an authoritarian parent who never admitted like, I don't know what's happening here? <laughs> instead gave some sort of answer all the time and mm-hmm. so there's it's almost like such a mystery because to lean into the authenticity and and say like something intense is happening here and i don't know what it is um is is less authoritarian it's like let's figure this out together like let's add your voice to this and my voice and we'll yeah. kind of work this thing together and yeah and one thing that i found helpful in
1: those moments is when you, when you go through it enough times, you can start to be familiar with what this is going to feel like when I get to this point. Um, and usually what the easiest release valve is is usually a good thing to kind of be curious about mm-hmm. with the client because that's usually kind of what is trying to be recreated in those moments because um, the release valve is usually different with whoever I'm kind of sitting with. Um, sometimes it's something to do with me, but usually you can parse out the differences and... Um, and so just kind of talking about like, I really want to um, compliment you right now or tell you how good you're doing right now. Um, but I feel like I've done that before and everything goes flat after that. So mm-hmm. w- what's it like if I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for yeah. you? So.
0: Yeah, which is different than doing the thing. You're talking about mm-hmm. the impulse to do the thing and like maybe the tension that's also there, like mm-hmm. part of me wants to do this. And another part of me is like, I don't want to do it because Things go flat, mm, or yeah. could go flat. So, yeah, that's good. I know you're. You developed the Metify app, which mm-hmm. is just an awesome app in terms of Thanks. giving people a way, a tool to really practically track their own emotional experience, and particularly how it shows up in their body. Like mm-hmm. that, there's some sort of physical sensation that that accompanies every emotion and to be able to track it you know in a in a daily app tracker and then Mm -hmm. look back over time and see patterns and all that is really fascinating and i think a really useful tool for people um and that was sort of birthed out of your you know passion for the mind and the body are deeply interconnected Mm -hmm. and um i wonder if you'd talk a little bit about that like how are the mind and body connected what what value is there in paying attention to sensations, particularly when we live in a culture that overvalues what we think versus what we feel. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said here. Um,
0: (laughs) You dive in wherever you want. (laughs) Wherever I
1: want. (laughs) Um, I think one analogy that I often use with people when I talk about this topic is just kind of um, like that, that story of the, the tortoise and the hare, which most people are kind of familiar with. Um, Whereas, like, the mind is very much the hare, mm-hmm. um, and the body is very much the tortoise. They're both trying to get to the same place, um, but the mind is very quick and, and it shoots out in front and it gets distracted really easily, and sometimes it gets tired, and sometimes things happen and it goes all over the place, and then it looks up and, well, shoot, the tortoise is an inch from the finish line mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, because it just kind of is always there. It, you can't really control the tortoise as much. Um, and just in the same way that you can't necessarily control the body, there's some things in the parasympathetic nervous system that you can override like your breath or Mm -hmm. you're blinking your eyes or something like that. But for the most part, it kind of just does what it does. Mm -hmm. Um, but the tortoise and the hare speak different languages. Um, just like the mind and the body do the, the mind very much is most people, I think kind of hear themselves talking, um, in the background or ideas come and they, and they, they, they speak it to themselves Mm -hmm. kind of, um, Whereas the body, I think speaks in in metaphors and in um, uh, pictures or sounds or 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 memories or, or things like that um, sensation sensations. yeah, and if we can pay attention to those things and be curious about what that's offering up to us, um, often at times it just doesn't make a lot of sense, um, kind of like dreams sometimes mm-hmm. like when you look at it on the whole around the face of it, you're like that's just wild and random Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then when you really sit with it um the body will kind of start to you'll feel a softening or a tightening or or whatever around when you start to kind of hone in on what the meaning of these types of things are Um, and so the i think the idea to go back to the analogy is to kind of get the tortoise and the hare to kind of run together um to at the same time at the same pace where when the tortoise or when the hare wants to kind of run off or take a nap or get distracted the tortoise can kind of like tug at it a little bit and be like, maybe just stick with this for a moment, mm-hmm. um, stay here, um, be curious about this. Um, and I think that's really kind of where Metaphy is helpful. Is it's it's not necessarily the tracking of it or going back and looking at the patterns, which is interesting mm-hmm. uh, from a very cognitive perspective. Like the the hare likes that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the the practice of it of of kind of slowing down enough to just be like, okay, what am I feeling right now? Where am I feeling this? How am I feeling this? What's going on as as I'm feeling this? Mm -hmm. Really creates that that space and that pattern and that that habit or whatever, the ritual, um, to get people to really kind of invite uh, the the body into the equation around a lot of different things. Because after developing the Medify app and working more in kind of that somatic way with people, um, for several years now, it's it feels very true to me um, that the body is very much, very much in line with the unconscious, um, and so the body is, is is not necessarily a way that you can get to the unconscious at will, but a way like a at least at the very least a way in mm-hmm. um, if we're willing to kind of cultivate that awareness around it. So mm, that's awesome. kind of where it's evolved for me. <laughs> with that's great.
0: I love the tortoise and the hare analogy, too. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of good analogies coming up today. Yeah. <laughs> it, it made me think of what you were saying earlier, too, about how do we... We were talking about the COVID-19 thing and how there's so much of us that wants to be in the future and, mm-hmm. like, yeah. how anxiety-producing that is. And that that seems like the realm of, of the hair. you mm-hmm. know, that the brain is going to be the one that can time travel into the future or into the past mm-hmm. and all of that. And the body and its present moment experiences and physical sensations is always only in the present moment. Yeah. It can't
1: be anywhere else. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. yeah and I think there's just so much richness in the body. I, I we, I think April who you had on the podcast mm-hmm. like years ago once said to me that like the, the whole world lives from the neck up mm-hmm. and I was just like, yep, that's that's true. Yep. <laughs> but there's and we don't pay attention to anything below the neck until it's like screaming at us, mm-hmm. like until like my knee really, really hurts or and then I'll rest it or um and I think the same thing is true about our emotions is and I think that's why you see things like anxiety and depression get really, really bad because it's just it's just gotta get louder and louder and louder until you finally turn to it and attend to it mm-hmm. um and care for it. Um much like you would like your, 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 your child. Yeah. Um, if you're not, if you're going to yell at your child or ignore your child, it's just going to get louder mm-hmm. <laughs> and throw a bigger fit.
0: Or it's going to totally shut down and, mm-hmm. and be unavailable.
1: Exactly, which is worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you turn to it and attune to it and have your child sit in your lap and hold them while they're kind of regulating and attuning to your nervous system, they will eventually get to a point where a A, they learn how to do that themselves Mm -hmm. but b can open up to you and be like this is what's going on and and then and then now we have now we have something to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm
0: -hmm. that's good and you also said that the body is sort of one way to have some access to the unconscious yeah i love that too because i i think there are so few things that were that that we have in this world to have any access to the unconscious or to at least Mm -hmm. create the opportunity for something to come up from that space. And I totally agree that the body is one. I think dreams, like you mentioned is another Mm -hmm. one, another way that the unconscious tries to disrupt us and get our attention or Mm -hmm. reintegrate something that was split off when we were kids or, but that's always a, a painful experience. And then, you know, I think the relational dynamic between a therapist and a client, like a relational space is also a place where um, the unconscious can start to come through. Yeah. So I I feel like those are like three legs of a tripod Mm -hmm. in terms of creating space for the unconscious.
1: Yeah, 100%, can really hold people up. Yeah. And what I love about the body and dreams and the relationship is like the relationship with the therapist has to kind of be within a container that can't just be accessed at will, um, in dreams. I mean, you can't just go dream, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, at will, but like the body, you can cultivate a practice. And so that's one of those three that you can actually go to whenever you want, Mm -hmm. if you're willing to engage that practice. And and I think that's the one that people are, at least in our culture, are most cut off from. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. And it seems like the more you do anything, the more, it's like the unconscious is looking to see, like, are you, are you ready for what's in here? Like, will you prepare a space for it? Mm -hmm. And so developing body centered practices, whether that's some form of like mindfulness or just intentional ways to be in your body with Mm -hmm. compassion and kindness. Um, or even for me personally, like I, with dreams in particular i never used to remember my dreams like only maybe in the last year and a half or two have i started remembering more dreams and it started with an intention right like i was Mm -hmm. like okay i really want to honor any any sort of gift from the unconscious no matter how disruptive it feels Mm -hmm. like i i want to make space for that and so bought like a journal and mm-hmm. was say, I just said like this journal, I will only write dreams in. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so I'm creating that space for it. And, um, I will, I will wake up when I remember, if I remember a dream, I'll get up and I'll, I'll write it down before I forget it as mm-hmm. a way to, even if it's just a bullet point or mm-hmm. two, like, um, and it's like the more that I've done that, the more dreams have, have come as well. And, um, so it's like, muscles that we can also exercise Mm -hmm. whether and i think relationally um choosing authenticity and choosing to show up more courageous and vulnerable in a relational space also gets expanded over time and Mm -hmm. so i love that about all three of the legs of that tripod Mm -hmm. it's like the more you honor it the more it has to give yep or the more it's willing to give yeah yeah Yeah, you gotta earn it (laughs) yeah that feels true that feels really true What else is coming up for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, we're both therapists, so I kind of want to see how long we can sit in silence. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. That's,
0: that's a good practice, but doesn't make for a good podcast. Good podcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners
1: are just dropping off like flies.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> um,
1: what else is coming up for me?
0: You, on your pre interview survey, you wrote down. Um, under like topics that you find meaningful or energizing, uh, the interplay between process and outcomes. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm less and less convinced that going for outcomes in almost any realm of life is, is the way to do it at the, at the, um, at the expense of process. Obviously, outcomes are w- why we do the process. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> um, but if we, if we, if the ends don't justify the means, I don't think, um, when it comes to why we're trying to, or why we're doing things or what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I think this is true in a lot of areas. The, the, the older I've gotten, the more I've done this work, the more realms that I've looked into and studied, it just seems like without good process, No matter how well intentioned the outcomes are or how to get to those outcomes the more things go sideways Um, it creates if we don't have a good process it creates really perverse incentives or um, uh, twisted um, ways of getting to different things that just kind of screws everything up Mm. Um, and i think this i mean this is obviously readily applicable to to therapy right like Mm. um if we just go straight for ending depression, we're just going to end up like masking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't really help anything. It just kind of numbs it. Um, and then it just kind of lives. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if we really go for the roots and we just honor the process and we really kind of, um, sit with the pain of it and, and what what wants to be worked on and, and respect that. Um, some of the things can be uprooted or, or, a relationship with it can be developed that is um, um, honoring of what the depression or the anxiety or whatever symptom you're having is trying to bring your attention to. And then in that way, um, you have a little bit more freedom in your life. Um, if, you, if you look at it from like a political realm, I think that's where it gets harder because we want to see justice right now mm-hmm. and justice needs to be served. Um, but if we sacrifice the process, I think we end up getting even more injustice in the long run. Um, with just different things that, because we, because there's just so many people and so many things that play into um, whatever we're trying to do that we can't really. It's there's this fatal conceit mm. <laughs> that we have that we can see a problem and fix a problem, and not have to worry about any of like the unintended consequences. Like there's always unintended consequences, mm-hmm. and I think good process where there's lots going on and 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 there's a space made for all the different things that could possibly pop up is is important um and I know there's tension there um because there is a lot of pain and agony and suffering in the world that that needs to be relieved, but it's hard to relieve that knowing that we're just gonna create more of it if we don't do it the uh in a way that honors the process of going into it
0: so. mm-hmm. yeah, it almost seems like there's uh almost too much, uh, emphasis put on outcomes mm-hmm. in every realm. Like that's the thing that, that we're always after. And, um, it makes me think of like, I don't know, going on a road trip or something. And you think that the, the thing you want is to get to your destination. And so you're like, no, no unnecessary stops. We're just going to fly through All of these states until we get to wherever we're going Mm -hmm. and then we get there and we think like this was it and it might be a nice outcome it might be whatever but then there's something about even the process of the journey that could have Mm -hmm. had gifts along the way too but it's the whole like stop and smell the roses kind of thing like can we slow ourselves down enough to even notice what the process is Mm -hmm. versus just trying to find some silver bullet to fix whatever the problem is. Yeah. Um, which, and as a therapist, is so fascinating to think about how often I'm surprised by where therapy goes with clients. <laughs> yeah. You know, that it's, if it's a foregone conclusion of like, here's your symptoms and here's how to fix it with this homework and this book and this, you know, whatever then so much gets missed in that. And, and often I've found like the presenting problem is not usually the problem. It's, mm-hmm. it's whatever is happening to come up in that moment. But, um, staying open to the process has often led to really profound twists and turns, like, like a good novel really, mm-hmm. like yeah. didn't see that coming, but it was really necessary. Yeah.
1: And I think not to go back to COVID, because I'm sure everyone's sick of that, <laughs> but like, the process around how we've been doing this seems to not be great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to get to the outcome of how are we going to do schools, how are we going to do this, how are we going to do that, Let's how are we going to protect everybody, all those different types of things, and nobody really wants to kind of step into the the mess of just figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is looking to the next level to have the solution, and, and nobody can have the solution right, right now.
0: Um, and, in, and the result in some level is like, our country's more polarized than it's ever been mm-hmm. and there's less capacity for people who have differing opinions to have any sort of meaningful dialogue it's mm-hmm. all laced with contempt and a doubling down on i'm right and you're wrong and because mm-hmm. of that like you have less value yeah um,
1: which leads us right into the the martin buber <laughs> yeah that <laughs> why <I like> it <laughs> uh-huh
0: yep it's it's a deep objectifying of of the other as less than Mm -hmm. you know and and I think that's one of the tragic outcomes of not paying attention to the process like Mm -hmm. because I think an attention to the process is gonna hopefully have within it something of like how do I honor myself and how do I honor you as the other Mm -hmm. and how do we find some way to to dialogue in a way that's productive and compassionate and Mm -hmm. and moves us forward in some way Versus moving us to further and further ends of a spectrum.
1: Yeah, and also doesn't require the people that are being most impacted by something to do that work. Right. Everybody has to kind of step into that. Like people, like you and I, need to do that work. Mm -hmm. Hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, which I feel like is is a big part of the call for the anti-racism work. Is Mm -hmm. you know a lot of what I'm hearing as a white man is like you need to get with other white people and do your work. And mm-hmm. that there's something that feels really right about that. Like I'd not, I don't want to have somebody who's not a white person do that work for me. Like, you know, just this awareness of,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, that, that it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. and shouldn't work that way. That's actually oppressive in and of itself.
1: And how do I put myself in positions as a white man where I can be humble enough to receive the feedback Mm and, um, and, and stay again, stay with that process of it's uncomfortable to get this feedback. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I can be really reactive to it and want to get to the, no, I'm not wrong. Or this is how I fix it really quickly. Um, I'm sorry. Here's a, here's a blog post about why (laughs) (laughs) things are good or bad or whatever. Um, instead of just kind of being like, okay, now it's time for me to to take that in, reflect on it and and soak in it for a while and let it work on me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then come back out for more because right
0: yeah yeah the commitment to outcomes is feels connected to a commitment to needing to be right Mm -hmm. and I think what's needed uh, on some level is a willingness to start from I'm wrong Mm -hmm. like that's woven within the fabric of who I am like I'm gonna let that be my starting point like I'm not gonna get this right and I'm gonna stay
1: yep yeah there was a um. You know who Eric Seidel is?
0: Uh, I don't, I know the name sounds familiar. Yeah. He's
1: like a famous poker player. Okay. (laughs) And I recently read this book where he was prominently featured in it about just the psychology behind like certainty and, and, and random chance and all that kind of stuff. But he has this line of just, um, um, less certainty and more inquiry. Um, and Mm -hmm. he just, and like, that's his approach to, to poker. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, well, shit, that's the approach to everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) or should be or close to everything. But yeah, um, so just I loved that line.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's good. More inquiry and internal inquiry and Mm -hmm. a willingness to hold loosely to what we think we know. Because I think when we double down Mm -hmm. on what we we think we know, we miss what actually is Uh sometimes.
1: And I think this is where the body comes back into play too cause when you're I'll just speak for myself. Um, when I'm with somebody that's very certain about something, mm-hmm. it feels bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just feels really tense and ugh, I kind of want to grind my teeth a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm with somebody that is in like practicing from a, a place of inquiry or just or really trying to wrestle with the nuance or really trying to understand, it feels very. Warm and good and, and strong, um, and like just open, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of where that's where we want to be as people, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants to be in that ugh, space,
0: um, so yeah. Mm. That's good. Well, I'm aware that we're coming close to the end of our time, um, and just wanted to first thank you again for mm-hmm. doing this, and and then just ask if there's anything that we didn't cover that you would have wanted to talk about or anything other directions, anything you didn't say that you want to say?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, it seems like it went by
0: too quick. It did go by <laughs> quick. Um,
1: I've enjoyed this and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah.
0: I hope we can do it again. Yeah. And I've been
1: grateful for just your friendship and the, the work that we've done together. Mm-hmm. So likewise,
0: <laughs> likewise, um, yeah i don't i don't think i have anything to add to to that like i i feel the same i feel like um it's been a a rich relationship for the last half a decade or more and (laughs) look forward to continuing that so yeah um i will put in the show notes like how people can find medify and find you but do you want to mention some of that real quick on the audio as well
1: yeah if you want to find the app's website. You can just go to me. It's M-E-T-A-F-I dot me. M-E. Or you can just type in Metafy in your app store or uh, iTunes or whatever,
0: and it'll it'll pop right up. So. And it's a free app that has the option for some paid parts of it too. Yeah. Correct.
1: Yep. yep. But the vast majority of it is free.
0: Yeah. yeah, you can get tons of value out of the just the free part of it. So. And then you're also at Mm -hmm. mindfulcounselinggr.com. So, yeah, grateful to know you, grateful for this conversation. Likewise. All right, thanks. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast and my conversation with Benjamin Reisterer. I hope that you found something of value in there and maybe – Um, an invitation to step into the mess of your own life um, of the world in which we live and to do so with a little bit more kindness and compassion both for yourself and others thanks for listening peace